You are listening to The Hublic Sphere, a podcast created by early career researchers at the Trinity Longroom Hub. Our ethos is to interject the discussions we have in academia into the public sphere, asking what arts and humanities research can contribute to broader public knowledge. For season two, we discuss one general theme, connection. Welcome to season two, episode four of The Hublic Sphere. My name is Lisa Doyle and I'm a PhD student in Classics at Trinity College Dublin. My research focuses on ancient Greek scholarly texts that survive in a particular way, in the margins of manuscripts as scolia. So I'm interested in the scholarly and intellectual tradition more broadly and the ways in which information and scholarship can be communicated and conveyed. My guests for this episode are Helen Meany, arts writer and consultant and curator of the Classics Now Festival, and Dr. Bridget Martin, teaching fellow at University College Dublin and director of the Access Classics Outreach Programme. We sat down in early January to discuss how their projects invite and encourage us to engage and connect with the past. We talked about the different avenues into and opportunities offered by the study of the ancient world, the benefits of outreach work and the flourishing artistic engagement with the ancient world in Ireland and how these retellings and reimaginings allow us to reflect on and ask what it means to be human. I hope you enjoy. So Bridget and Helen, thank you both so much for joining me today. I want to talk about your projects, Access Classics and Classics Now in just a second, but I was hoping to start by asking you how you were first introduced to classics. Bridget, do you mind if we start with you? Yeah, sure. And thank you so much, Lisa, for inviting me on. It's lovely to be here with you and Helen. So I came to classes quite late, actually. I didn't actually realise it existed until I went to college. It was not in my school whatsoever. It just wasn't in my life at all. So I went to college, to University College Dublin, to study English. And at the time, I had to pick three subjects in the first year. So I had English. I went with geography. And then I just didn't know what else to do. So I had to sit down with the prospectus and I was reading through it and I saw this thing called classics. I was like, what on earth is this? And I remember so well reading it and thinking, I can't believe this. This is a subject that they will allow me to do. They're going to tell me all of these interesting things. So I had heard of things like the emperors and and all of this, but I never knew there was this umbrella of classics. Mm. So I started it and I just fell in love with it from the very first class and eventually it's what I stuck with. I did really come quite late to it and I I did always feel a little bit on the back foot because of that. But I think that kind of pushed a stubbornness in me. It's like, okay, this is difficult. I like this. So I kind of stuck with it and it just... I I just love it. All of the stories, all of the mystery of it, all of the great adventures of just sitting down and trying to figure out something from the ancient world. It's just absolutely fantastic. Mm, That's interesting. And we might come back to that in a second as we talk more about Access Classics and where classics is available in in schools in Ireland. But yeah, I think you you definitely touched on something I related to as well. I was able to study classics in school and I, I just found that it was like all of my favorite subjects or all my interests in one subject as it were in one discipline. Helen what about yourself? Yes I I agree that that's the big appeal uh, the fact that there's so many different disciplines folded into classics. I mean as a child I would have read Greek 
mythology. I suppose that was, you know, my very first introduction there, and I absolutely loved it. And I had, you know, picture books, and particularly, I was particularly obsessed with Hercules <laughs> as a child. Don't ask me why. So I was aware of Greek mythology, I suppose, and and at school, Latin was on offer, but not classical studies. But I was really, as a teenager, I was really, really interested in philosophy. That was kind of my my route in and I was reading you know people like Camus and the myth of Sisyphus and I initially wanted to study literature and philosophy and through philosophy I came to realize that the importance of the Greeks and then and from there I realized okay I'm, I'm not just interested in Plato and Aristotle I'm interested in everything about about the ancient world so that's kind of how I I ended up going into to classics and it was sort of my world really for a few years you know and that's <laughs> that, was, yeah. that was it. <laughs> that's a lot of commitment and I guess I'm quite interested as well in how classics has informed your careers your professionalized Bridget I mean you work in academia and would I be right in saying you have an interest in Greek tragedy you published a book on interactions between living and the dead in Greek tragedy recently so you know obviously you stuck with classics in an academic setting yes absolutely I went straight from my undergrad into a master's degree and then I took a year out I said okay I'll go out into the working world see if this kind of appeals to me Mm. so I did I I suppose an office job and I did love it to begin with but after a few months it's like oh I'm not really learning anything and I really miss classics so I went back for my PhD and I, I just never left it again I was very lucky that I could teach a lot during my PhD which really very much encouraged my love of it Mm. and I just kept going from there and I honestly I can't imagine something different than teaching classics now particularly teaching Greek which is my favorite thing to do and aside from Greek yes tragedy would be my main thing and particularly death and tragedy which I've always found very fascinating but as I said I can't imagine doing anything different I mean it's really quite special to introduce people to classics and especially to Greek and kind of see that understanding come it's a really fantastic thing to be able to do yeah I think anyone who's the good fortune to engage with the ancient world in a classroom to study it to read for leisure it's it's a very exciting and engaging process Helen, what about yourself? You, you, you're a culture writer, you review Greek tragedies on stage, but how has classics informed the trajectory of your career? I suppose after my master's and Greek degree, I was toying with doing a PhD and, and I was also very interested in, in publishing and in book publishing and becoming an editor. So there were the sort of twin things. And I ended up working in publishing in London, came back to Dublin and became a journalist and, and an arts journalist. So I think what I'm always interested in my career, I'm interested in putting scholarship into the public domain. I suppose that's where my journalism came in. And I used to, I worked in the Irish Times as an arts journalist and commissioning editor for a very long time. And I was really lucky with my colleagues there who would commission me. And I was I was the kind of classics person, you know, in, <laughs> in the arts and, um, and features team unofficially so I would be the one who would interview you know Mary Beard or I would I would review John Banville was the literary editor when I joined and he would commission me to you know anything from ancient slavery to Plotinus Aeids. I mean I, it was fantastic but I also was writing about other areas of the arts but classics was the extra thing that I suppose I could add so when for example the Abbey produced Iphigenia at Aulis 
I was able to go and sit in the rehearsal room and, and talk to Katie Mitchell, the director. And, and so, so it sort of brought together all of my interests. And so that area of classical reception broadly has always been really important to me as, as a journalist and, and critic. Yeah, I think you touched on a couple of interesting points there. The first being the rich tradition of classical reception in, in Ireland, which we'll talk about in a second in relation to classics now, and also this idea of communication. This is what we do at the Long Room Hub, is trying to communicate arts and humanities research, information to wider audience to bridge that gap. And so I think this is a, a good opportunity to talk to you both about your projects, Access Classics and Classics Now. My question is, what prompted you to start these projects? So why? But also, how? How did you get these projects off the ground? Bridget, if, if we start with you and Access Classics, this outreach initiative, I think it would be really great for people to hear what it's like, you know, engaging with schools, engaging with people beyond your own university, because I think there is a yearning there amongst people in academia to bridge the gap between the ivory tower that is academia and and a general audience. And I think with classics especially, which has quite a, a long tradition of exclusion, people do feel this need, but mightn't perhaps know how to, to go about starting an outreach project. I did, before recording this episode, reach out to the classics community on Twitter. Twitter is what it is, but there is quite a, a big community of people studying classics, passionate about classics on Twitter. And it's, it's, a, it's a nice space to have important conversations as well. And did an unofficial survey. And the majority of people said that they do think about trying to work in outreach. It's on their radar that they would like to communicate and that they feel they have maybe a responsibility to communicate to wider audiences, but they're not currently doing it. So how do we take those first steps? What was it like for you? Well, our first steps, I mean, really, we just jumped in. So Access Classics, we began in 2019, I think. And it was our school manager in the School of Classics, Tasneem Falaya, who said, you know, let's put together all of our outreach and try to create a programme from it. So it was Tasneem, myself and our colleague, Christopher Farrell. And we said, instead of sitting down and thinking about this too much and thinking about the problems of getting into all of these schools, that we would just go for it and see how it, how it would go. So we conducted a pilot, we called upon friends who are school teachers, and we managed to get into three different schools that, that were very good as kind of a cross section of the schools that were available. Mm -hmm. So we managed to get to a DESH school, so one of the underprivileged schools. We got into a school which is state funded, but not a a private fee-paying school and then a fee-paying school as well and we talked a lot with the teachers about what we could do with the students some of whom knew classics some of whom have never come across it before so we conducted quite different workshops in each of the schools but it was very clear very quickly that the students as a whole really really responded to it mm. like they really enjoyed the fact that somebody was coming in and telling them quite new and interesting things so we would do lots with the Greek alphabet for example mm. and I think they thought that was a secret code and they really <laughs> liked that <laughs> it works really well in that way I'm currently teaching it to my niece and nephew here they keep asking about the COVID letters <laughs> 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 the Greek alphabet <laughs> <laughs> but whatever 
way they learn it. And we were able to bring, for example, some of the artifacts from our museum in UCD and to talk to the students about those. So it was very clear, very, very quickly, the appetite was there. Mm -hmm. So we reached out to all the schools in Ireland, all second level schools and said, look, we can come and visit you or is there some other way we, we can, you know, facilitate classics in your school. And we were getting out to schools and things are up and running but when COVID hit and then we had to go online. But in many ways, this was a good thing for us because we created our website then. We created a lot of resources we put on our website, including a transition year unit. We went online for workshops, which meant we could reach schools that were outside of our immediate area. So we did kind of go back to in-person workshops just before Christmas. But again, that, that's not looking so good. So in terms of to say to other people who are thinking about outreach, I, I would say to just go for it, because if you sit down and think about it, all you are going to see are the problems, yeah. because there are so many, especially if, if you're quite small, there are only three of us, two of us actually conduct the workshops, we have to work around our own teaching schedules, plus we need to get to the schools, so if a school is outside our immediate area, you're looking at a day practically to get there to conduct maybe an hour workshop and get back. So there are so many reasons not to do it, but I've never come away from a workshop and said, I'm sorry, I did that. I come away thinking, OK, that's another 30 students who have been introduced to something new, who know it's possible to do classics at university, to make your life classics, as it were. Do you feel responsibility as an academic? I mean, you have obviously taken it upon yourself to put in all these extra hours and do outreach work. Do you think academics have a responsibility to do so? I think absolutely, especially with something like classics, which is so small and it can be quite concentrated in certain schools and certain areas. And so it ends up with a reputation maybe for being elitist in many ways. Yeah. And if we all want our subject to survive, um, as we can see in something like classics and especially in Helen's classics now, we, we all want to show how important classics is. And to do that, you need to get out to people and say this is this is important and your voice can add a lot to this. So it's very important to us in Access Classics that we can get to schools which don't have it. Yeah. And especially to underprivileged schools, I went to one myself and it would have made a huge difference to me for someone from a university to come along and say, this subject is available to you too. Your voice is just as important. There are so many perspectives out there that we may not always get in our classrooms and certainly at university level. So our thinking is the more people that know classics exists and that they have a place in it, the more diverse it will eventually be. Absolutely. That's an incredibly important point. And as you say, this is something Classics Now is also doing. So Helen, if we take a moment to talk about the festival, the first incarnation was November 2020 and the second one is upcoming from the 21st to the 23rd of January. The first time round, you had guests such as Natalie Haynes, Mary Norris. It, it took place online. This time you're going for a hybrid format. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So we had the, the bad timing of getting this new festival, brand new festival off the ground with funding from the Arts Council. And, and that really the most of 2020, I spent just worrying about, you know, watching the virus and how are we, how are we going to do what we had planned to do. And then just venue after venue cancelling and saying we can't and then realising we were in full lockdown. So, right. so we produced it as a completely virtual festival. and. 
the benefit of that actually was that we reached audiences all over the world. We had an, a genuinely international audience, people from Australia, particularly the US, US, Australia, UK, but all, and all across Europe. So we, of course, we could never have done that for our first festival if it had been live in, in city centre venues in Dublin. We were lucky enough to receive a funding from the Arts Council for a second festival. It's a hybrid. We want to keep that element of, of people being able to watch, some, particularly some of the literary events, which are essentially just like we are today, just people talking on screen. So, so those, some of those are going to be online, but we will have live performance um, in Dublin and making the most of the current interest among Irish theatre makers in particular uh, in, in Greek tragedy and in the epics in, in Homer in particular. So the live performances are going to be a work in progress showing of a new version of the Odyssey translated by playwright Gavin Costick with a score by composer Andrew Sinnott, a performance of Nulan Igonel's new translation, Irish language translation of, of the Persian. So that's going to be a special event in the Peacock with director Conor Hanrity, Irla Ulyaner, the fantastic cast. And that's based on a podcast that Conor Hanrity made last year. So it's kind of taking it into a live performance. We're also going to have Charlotte Higgins live in Dublin, the Guardian culture writer and classicist, whose new book on Greek myths is, is a fantastic and fascinating kind of retelling. And she's going to be in conversation with the Irish novelist Carla Gabler. We're going to have Theatre Love It at the Hugh Lane Gallery with a piece for children of all ages, taking Aesop's fables as a, as a sort of starting point. And there's going to be mu music and a promenade performance. We're going to have a screening in the Irish Film Institute of a documentary about the British rap artist and, and activist and writer, Akala, in which he travels around the Aegean trying to get understand the roots, the oral roots of Homer's Odyssey. So that's for a different audience because he has a huge following as a rapper. So it's, it's trying to mix things up in terms of who we're talking to, who we're reaching. We're opening with Madeline Miller, who is, you know, absolutely global bestseller with her with her novels Circe and uh, the Song of Achilles and she's particularly read by younger people actually and, and because she brings a feminist take she brings a homoerotic relationship between Patroclus and Achilles you know which you can see that's very plausible as a reader yeah. you know uh, yeah but she really brings that out to, to the fore yeah. so that's that's an online event opening on Friday the 21st we're also going, um, you mentioned, Bridget, the UCD Classical Museum. The numbers will be very small, but we're going to have a curator's tour with Dr. Joanna Day and also a, a drawing workshop. So we're going to ask members of the public to come in and draw and, and look closely at the, the wonderful artifacts in the collection and, and make their own drawings. So that's a, that's, a new, that's a new element that we, of course, can only do this year because it's live. But I would have wanted to do that last year. You know? So mm. again, the, the numbers, we have to watch the capacity for COVID. So the number be 50%. So the, the actual number of people who can get into the live events is necessary small this time but I do think it's going to add a, a, a real frisson and really make it make for a sort of a vibrant program I hope. <laughs> Absolutely and it really seems like the festival is kind of interconnected with the cultural landscape of Dublin almost you have events in the Museum of Literature Ireland and the Irish Film Institute and I'm just so excited that we have this going on in our city and I think as, as you say Madeline Miller on opening night it's, it's something else my jaw dropped it's, it's very exciting and Cersei I think 
is a, a really great example of the objectives of your festival and what and what people can experience by going to it. This idea of retelling myths, which has been done for centuries. This is what ancient writers were doing, essentially. It's, it's this idea of a tradition of mythological tales, and but also innovation. And, and that's what you see with Madeleine Miller's Circe of this. It's just such a brilliant book that reminded me not only of why we are so interested and why we connect so much with ancient culture and myth, but also just why we read books. It's just, it's that good. I enjoyed it so much. But this idea of taking a mythological figure, a woman, so again, you have a lot of this, as you say, with Charlotte Higgins, with Natalie Haynes, retelling myths with different perspectives. But that's what's been done since antiquity of of retelling myths, depending on different cultural contexts. And now we are getting to experience myths with feminist retellings that more people can engage with and, and relate to. And you have Circe, this figure who crops up in so many different mythological stories that I only really realized it once I sat down and read her book. Obviously, we would know her from the Odyssey. And then we see episodes we might recognize from the Argonautica by Apollonius. But then you also have innovation and Madeline Miller altering that storyline. And that's what it's about. It's about the stories, I think. Would you guys agree? Yes. I mean, and, you know, I think an aspect of Cersei is that that sense of Cersei is immortal. And yet she has to keep trying to negotiate <laughs> her, her relationship between the divine world and, and the, more, the, the human world. And that, of course, is part of the essence of Homer, but also of, of Hesiod and of a lot of the myths. And so it's about, well, what is life? You know, where does life begin and end? You know, all of those, they're, they're actually much larger questions about our, our human place in the world. So no matter what your level of knowledge of the the original myth or the story, there's something there about about the human condition. Charlotte Higgins in her new book says, you know, the Greek myths are are not timeless. They're always timely. It's it's a very nice distinction. Yeah. The other person I I forgot to mention, I think is important, is Daisy Dunn. And she she specializes in the Roman Empire and and Roman Republic, and particularly Catullus. But she's also a very prominent commentator on classics and on the value of classics. And she wrote wrote a piece for Unheard saying, don't don't cancel the classics. It's a very good defense of, of the value of classics in the light of a lot of, I think at the moment, misunderstanding and, and sort of pushback in terms of, you know, whiteness, Eurocentricity, elitism, all these things. So her, her piece, Don't Cancel the Classics, is a, is a really good read. And she's going to be on online on the Sunday evening with Vincent Woods talking about Catullus and talking about Pliny and the eruption of Vesuvius, the destruction of Pompeii and Herculaneum. And she's a superb writer. And that can be watched anywhere online. Yeah, I think, again, a very pertinent point. And the, the lineup, as you say, it's for everybody. Classics now is for everybody. It's for everyone to access. And I think the lineup is very reflective of that. Bridget, I wanted to ask about Access Classics. Have you found that working and engaging wider audiences has enhanced your work as an academic? Oh, absolutely. For me, I think my favorite part of academia has always been the teaching. And I do, I think when I teach the same thing quite a lot, especially with Greek, I sometimes go into autopilot, which I hate in myself. So when I go out to a school and I have this group of 13 year olds who are asking me questions I would never have thought of in a million years about various different things, they do, they absolutely, it's like a restart switch. 
it's like, oh, there is that energy here. People want to know all of these things. And what has been quite interesting, uh, we're very lucky in Access Classics and that we have so much support from the School of Classics and all the different staff members. And our head of school at the minute, Dr. Martin Brady, he said, why don't we make this into a module? So we created a module that would be at year three for our students where they could learn about creating outreach materials and some basic introductions to teaching and things like this. And the students were really very proactive when it comes to this module. And they actually decided they would do a radio show. We didn't ask them to do this, but they said, let's do a weekly radio show on the UCG uh, Belfield FM. And I was their biggest fan. I think they found it quite disconcerting <laughs> how much I listened in. I was so interested to hear everything. And it was just so interesting to hear them talk about classics and their perspective. And that, that really did re-energize me again to think, you know, that passion is there. So I need to bring that same energy as well. Yeah. And one of the really exciting things about Access Classics, I think, is that undergraduate module. You know, you're not you're not only doing it yourselves, going out to these schools and, and thinking in terms of outreach and communication to different audiences. Your students are doing it too. young scholars in training or these students may stick with classics in an academic setting or they may not. But the point is, at a very early stage of their studies, they're thinking about communication, about why they love their subject. They're thinking outside of their studies almost, which is just brilliant. You know, it, it's been great. And um, thankfully, before things got very bad a month or so ago, we were able to go out to some schools with some of the students who are who are doing our module. And it was just fantastic because they, they went out to their own old schools and to see them interacting with the students was wonderful. And I, I think like the students really enjoyed seeing someone much closer to their age than one of us kind of rocking up and trying to be one of the kids. So it, it worked incredibly well. And they just really got across their their passion for classics it was wonderful to see Mm. what I'm really hearing is the benefits of opening up a a subject like classics to a wider audience you're getting challenged and young people always ask challenging questions but (laughs) you're bringing in different perspectives you know people who might have had a chance to engage with the subject a diverse range of perspectives and I think as well something you touched on and Helen as well is just speaking about well, how these stories speak to the human experience and ask questions that, that relate to our contemporary experience. Now, questions that have been asked for, for thousands of years, those questions are for everyone, including school students as well. One of the other things which, which Helen touched on as well that I wanted to ask you about is the, this idea of classics in the public sphere and what people's perception of what classics is and what studying classics entails. This is reflective of a long tradition of exclusion and and whiteness. You know, Bridget, I'm thinking in an academic perspective that people view the study of classics as meant only for the elite. Certain current public figures don't help that image. And even Helen, I'm thinking when people might have a vague familiarity with what classics is, but there's, generally speaking, quite a lot of interest in the ancient world. And so in the arts and cultural sphere, that's capitalised on a lot. I'm thinking of movies like 300. When people think of classics, this is what they recall. And, you know, people make jokes of, oh, it's inaccurate and it's silly, but it's actually quite problematic in how simplistic its depiction is of degenerate Eastern culture and stuff like that. And it's not reflective of the text it borrows from at all. People recall what they see in the news. You know, before Christmas, Boris Johnson was standing in the Colosseum using very dangerous rhetoric and demagoguery, saying that the fall of the Roman Empire was due to uncontrolled immigration. 
from my perspective, your projects are an antidote to this. They do combat it in some way. Would you agree? Is this something you think about as you go about your projects? Sure. I mean, I think that to counter that, those examples, I, 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 would, I would say that there's so much active artistic and creative engagement with, with classics in the ancient world that that seems to me to far outweigh polit- politicians being opportunistic or that sense of, of mis- misconceptions maybe about the discipline because in fact there is an absolute flowering of, of artists and writers all over the world engaging with classics. I mean, particularly literature and theatre, what certainly so far in classics now we've found is that the level of interest and excitement uh, is and openness among audiences is there and is evident. And so that's how we actually deal with, we actively say that this is a, a rich and engaging discipline, area, subject matter, subject matters. So we just continue to be open-minded ourselves. And and I think stress the importance of actually going back to the texts and the sources where you'll find that it is not, that there's no way that it could be construed as a narrow, as a narrow discipline in in any way. You know, if you think about Herodotus or Tacitus or the the way they wrote about their world and the the curiosity of somebody like Pliny, you know, so I, I think that that those misconceptions are rooted in a lack of knowledge. So our role as communicators of classics in the broadest sense is to is to counteract that lack of knowledge by opening up like through Bridges' fantastic program and by being true to the actual original material. That's a, a, a very, very well put. Like you say, it's misconceptions about the discipline, which are grounded in, you know, fact and reality. And because classical texts are appropriated by the far right, by white supremacists. But as you say, it's going back to the text itself by going back to the material and allowing people to actually engage with the material as, as we have it. And I think an important thing is to engage critically with the material. And that's what your projects enable people to do. And in terms of engaging critically with with the ancient world and asking important questions. Bridget, I think it was the the syllabus access classics have created for transition year. Did I see that included in that syllabus is the discussion of the Parthenon marbles and repatriation. So you're encouraging young students to think and engage with topical debates, current discussions. Yes, yes, absolutely. It was really very important to us that our transition year unit would not be, okay, learn about the ancient world. That was way back then. It would be, let's learn about the ancient world today and how we are engaging with it and how we all have a role to play in it. So the Parthenon um, marbles, that was quite a a contested topic, I think, to even write that. (laughs) Because I did pass that through a few different people and each one came back and said, you're a bit too far on this side but then the next person would say you're a bit too far on the other side (laughs) but no it was very important to us that people saw them as very much you know that the ancient world was still active that we were still engaging with it we weren't um looking at it as this monolithic thing that was over and done with it was a full stop and we could look back in but it had very little to do with us anymore it was that it's still in our world today whether it is something quite controversial like this or whether it's all of the fantastic things that are coming up in, in helen's classics now i mean i'm so excited about the the rapper aspect i just think that's absolutely wonderful <laughs> and just to say helen it's an astronomically good lineup i'm so excited for it so many interesting things as I said it's very important that people see it's 
plastics is still alive and that in order to keep it alive and for us to know more about it everybody needs to become involved and for access plastics one of our big things probably the fundamental aim is to just make people understand that plastics exists because I think that's a huge problem in Ireland the amount of people who you will say plastics to and they'll say do you mean music it's like no not classical music this is what plastics is and that has been quite a difficult one for us because one of our big aims is to get to those schools which do not have classics which is about I don't know 92 percent of second level schools in Ireland don't have it and it's proven quite difficult to get into those schools which I completely understand even at the best of times resources and time just aren't available for schools to open up to us so it's our big challenge is making sure that students in second level they know that plastics exists they know what it is because I, I think a lot of them engage with plastics without realizing things like Percy Jackson is has been brought so many people to classics but so many people read it but don't realize this is a thing this is classics but just to pick up on what um, Helen said so eloquently about kind of the open-mindedness is there the desire to interact is there the desire to find connections between the ancient world our own culture lots of different cultures that is there it's evident in every single classroom I'm in so the more we can build up on that and I do think there it's a time of change I think in classics in Ireland I really do feel it it's coming you know I, I feel it's filtering out there that all of the same everybody is doing and working so hard on all of the teachers um CAI classics now Lisa you do so much like everything that you know it, it's working I feel yeah that's exciting to hear you know because you're out there in the schools and like you say it, it is a huge problem in Ireland I mean in terms of how accessible classics is as a subject would it be a fair assessment that it's available mostly in private schools which are mostly in Dublin that's my impression yeah so about i think about 52 schools offer classics in some way so that could be classics it could be greek it could be latin you're looking at about 52 more than half of those are fee-paying schools right and that was my experience i went to a private school and because of that i had the opportunity to study classical studies where people in non-private schools don't have that same opportunity so as you mentioned you know this is it's a kind of a vicious circle that just feeds into a set small group of people being able to access the subject which you yourself are counteracting through access classics and i think that's um, a really great statement classics is alive it's relevant to people's experience now and the other important point defining it and, and you know increasing people's understanding of what it is because it, it strikes me that you almost you have to introduce people as you say to what classics is but then also make them realize it might even be bigger than what they thought it was you know what I mean and even the two we always talk about you know Greece and Rome but it's ancient civilizations the ancient Mediterranean and you know people realizing that it's a whole world and and they have the opportunity to learn more about it in, in a school context as you present it to them but also through helen's festival through art through culture my final question as we come to an end what would you like to see in the future in terms of engaging with classics with your own projects what are your future objectives well well specifically for classics now i I'd really like it to continue. I would like there to be a third edition and a fourth and a fifth. Um, that depends on a lot of things. That depends on how well our 
upcoming festival goes in terms of audience, because that's important because we're publicly funded by the Arts Council. We also are supported by three university departments, uh, UCD, Maynooth and Trinity and the Classical Association of Ireland. So, you know, we can't, I don't, I don't take that support for granted. So uh, for me, I'd like to see it grow. I'd like to have more events throughout the year. I mean, this is only our second <laughs> iteration. So, but I would like to have just standalone events when we come out of COVID, which of course we eventually will during the year, you know, with like the, the, the Italian Cultural Institute, with the IFI, there's, I'm, there's a huge amount of support for the festival from, from, the, from the Abbey Theatre, uh, from Literature Ireland, Poetry Ireland. So those, those relationships are now, you know, they're growing and deepening. And I, I, I would just hate to lose that. And in the future, I would like a, a, an introduction to la the languages. I'd love to have little taster pop up Latin and, and Greek beginners, you know, as part of the festival in a, in a sort of a, an engaging and light way. I'd like to have more visual art and architecture in the next festival. So I'm, I'm just hope, I'm hoping that it will become part of the cultural calendar in Ireland. That's what I'd like. Very well supported by the Arts Council at the moment. So let's hope that that, that will continue. It seems like we're on the right track anyway, and that hopefully it will, it will keep flourishing. Bridget, what about you? I, I think very much like Helen, the idea of just continuance and, and growth. I mean, we, we've been very lucky in the support from the School of Classics, as I said, but um, you can't rely on, on something just continuing on forever if, if you can't show, I suppose, that it is working in terms of engagement. But I, I think as well, I would like to see even more of a relationship develop between the teachers at second level and the lecturers at third level, because I think that's a really important bridge to have, not to see classics in second level as over here, classics in third level as over here, that we can have that bridge between. And I have to say the classics teachers in Ireland are the most energetic people I've ever come across. I mean, the continuance, I think, of classics is it, very much with them. They, they just... It, enthuse so much and they spread so much love of their subject and I would love just to be able to um, support them more and to see how we can kind of between us keep the subject going and overall for me my aim would be to get to more of those schools without classics I, I really want it to be a situation where in 10-15 years time every single second level student knows what classics is even if they want nothing to do with it they know what it is and they know it's available to them and it doesn't matter where they came from what their background is what they know or what they don't know that it's a subject that's open to everyone Absolutely. Well, I can't wait to see how your projects develop and how Classics continues to flourish in Ireland and beyond. And thank you so much for your time. You've given not only me a lot to consider, and, and I'm sure you have for those listening as well, but hopefully these conversations will continue beyond this podcast. So thank you so much. The Public Sphere is a podcast produced by early career researchers at the Trinity Longroom Hub. For more information on this podcast episode, follow our Twitter account at Hubbock Sphere, where you will be directed to our show notes and website. The second season of The Hubbock Sphere is produced by Connor Brennan, Orla Darling, Lisa Doyle, Courtney Helen Gryle, Tom Hegley, Lorraine McAvoy and Alan O'Neill. With many thanks for our jingle to Angus O'Loughlin.